So you know that your family once owned a gin company and some pubs. But how surreal would it be to find out it wasn't just any gin company, but one of the most important brands in the UK ever. I'm Susan Schwartz, your drinking companion, and this is Lush Life Podcast. Every week, we are inspired to live life one cocktail at a time by the best in the industry. Milo Walker, brand ambassador and heir to Nicholson Gin, discovered that his family produced not only politicians and cricketeers, but also gin distillers. There might not have been a Lord's Cricket Ground if Nicholson Gin hadn't stepped in. It was also Harry Craddock's, the Savoy's most legendary bartender's preferred choice for many of the hotel's most famous cocktails. Milo talks us through his recent education on all things Nicholson Gin. Yeah, so I think the process started back in 2010. Um, we were living in Cape Town, South Africa, and my dad, we always knew we had a gin brand, um, but we never really sort of pursued it or anything like that. And dad started looking at it in 2010. And we just got really excited about the fact that to bring back this historic brand back into the fold, back into a family-owned company, was just something really exciting. And that's what we—that's what I first heard about it. Then, um, at first, I didn't really know what what, what the process would be. Um, but after that, it took about six years to actually get to to where we are today. So, growing up, you had no idea that you had this historical I, brand well, in your I, family. I knew at some extent, but I didn't know exactly the specifics of the brand. Um, I knew broadly. What, what broadly did you know? Well, I knew that I knew William Nicholson. I knew the the connection to cricket um, and the pubs, um, but I didn't know the the heritage of us, of our contribution to gin and what it is today, um, and just the family link that is so strong. And it's just kept on going for all those years. I just didn't know. So now you have to tell us what it is. Yes. So yeah. I guess it's been an education for you as well. Um, as your whole family to learn all of this. Yes. So yeah. talk me through kind of what you learned and how, you know, you processed all this fantastic yeah. information. Well, I mean, it's just sort of, you think, think about our sort of genus that's got so many angles. I sort of, I first discovered that the cricketing angle at Lords back in sort of 20, 2000, 2011 when I was on cricket tour here. And my dad said, we were on um, a tour around Lords. He said, Milo, ask them about the colors of their flag. And I did, and the chap didn't know. Um, and that, now, did you know yet? Were you quizzing him? I, or you still I was know? quizzing him, and, I, and I stuck, my dad said he asked him about the colours. I didn't, I didn't know what they represented. I didn't know mm-hmm. they were our colours. And the chap didn't know. So I was like, Dad, why did you tell me to do that? <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's the first time I discovered about the crickets. And then sort of 2016 is when I discovered of the, the whole, not just gin, the whiskey, the ale, the rum. Um, that's when I first discovered sort of how broad we were and how how big the actual operation was that we were doing for about 280 years. Or something like that. So you just thought, oh, well, we once had these pubs and we once had yeah. some kind of gin. And wow, you know, 280 years and one of the most important brands that ever existed yes. in the early days. Yeah, very much so. And it's very surreal. Every, so I sort of pinch myself every day because it's just the, the heritage of the brand is so magnificent. And it's something that is not really, it's not something you can buy. It's just so so unique, I suppose. Um and it's a great, it's great to represent the brand and still be run by the same family. Of course. So tell us a little bit about the history. Sure. Um, or so, a lot about yeah, the history. Yeah, I think it's, it's a bit overwhelming, so I'll just... <laughs> could be over quite a long time. Um, but the company started in 1736, and it started through a marriage of the Bowman family, and they were brewers, and it started with James Nicholson and Anne Bowman, and they got married in 1736. Um, in 1730, sorry. 
But at that time, it was sort of the gin craze. Um, and people started, if you started the distillery by literally just putting a sign up outside your house saying, distillery, only 10 days, you're illegal. Um, so we thought it'd be quite a good idea to start a gin company back then. Um, so from sort of the 18th century, we grew and we grew. And then in 1808, we moved to St. John's Wood, Clerkenwell, um, where we started our, our distillery. And the operation just got bigger and bigger. And we just kept on growing, kept on growing. Um, I'm the Duke of Wellington. We know the Duke of Wellington was a massive fan. Um, we did gin for the Houses of Parliament and things like that. Um, so yeah, the, just the the growth is massive. Um, and then I guess that's that's just a very brief one. But then we can also sort of look at um, after that in 1873, we moved to a different distillery. We also used to do all the Nutrigain Spirit for Tanqueray and Golden. Um, we didn't just do our own; we did theirs too. Um, so yeah, the significance of, of Nicholson's gin was, was massive um, throughout sort of the 18th and, 17th, 18th and 19th century. Um, so you said that um, Nelson was one of your big yes, uh, yes. drinkers. So obviously it was, a, a, you know, a massive brand that you had um, so many famous, famous people drinking it and writing about it. Yes. Yeah, very much. So. I mean, we, we know that Duke Wellington was a big fan Um and we, I don't know if this is sort of true, this story, but my grandmother says that Nicholson's gin is something to do with his funeral. And she's got the carriage door in her bedroom um, of that. Um, and I think that that was from the Duke of Wellington's funeral. Wait, wait she has the carriage door? Yeah, of, of the carriage that brought him down, I think. Um, and that's something that's... So that, at least someone was there at the funeral and yeah, yeah, <laughs> from yeah, your yeah. family and took the yeah, door. Yeah, so that was a bit of a... T- I think that's, that's a tale, though. I, need to, I, I mean, it may not be true, but that's what she, 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 she told me. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, Duke Wellington's a massive fan um, and also did stuff for the Houses of Parliament, too. Um, because Nicholson's are also not just distillers. There's a whole line of politicians. Um, so in 1930... I'm not sure if you've seen the movie um, The Darkest Hour. Oh, yes, of course. Do you know Brigadier Nicholson? Oh, yeah. So, that, so that's my... That's my great-grandfather's brother. Um, so he's, he was also a politician. Um, off, um, my grandmother's father beat Winston Churchill in the 1925 election. Um, so we, they all sort of MPs for a town called Petersfield um, out in Hampshire. Um, so we all had a big line of politicians at the same time. Um, so, yeah. so a lot of important people were not only drinking it, but your relatives became yes. politicians. and Yeah. William Nixon was the first to come on an MP and then it sort of carried on after that. Mm-hmm. He was 14 kids. <laughs> <laughs> and so what was this tie to cricket? Yeah, so sort of in... So William Nixon was a very keen cricket player. Um, he played for Middlesex, had about 150 caps. Okay, what year are we talking? We're talking about 1830, 1833. Because there are a lot of Williams and Jameses yes, in your family. Yeah, yeah, it gets quite confusing. Uh-huh. Um, so William Nixon started playing cricket in sort of 1833, 1840s. And in 1866, Lord's Cricket Ground was going through a bit of a, a bit of trouble. They they weren't at that time a very wealthy club, and they couldn't pay for the freehold of of the ground that they were on. It was up for development. Um, and William Nicholson forwarded them the money to buy the to buy the freehold of Lords, um, effectively saving the ground from developers. Um, and this was the first out of four loans that he did. The second was for um, a hotel, which is now Stand, and the third was for nursery ground, which is just behind the media centre. And the fourth and the biggest loan was for the um, pavilion itself, which was known as the Gin Palace. Um, And before 1866, the MCC's colours were blue and white. And after that, they adopted our brand colours, the bacon and egg. Um, And sort of world now throughout the sporting world, if any cricket fans are listening, they'll know that bacon and egg is a really famous cricketing cricketing colours. And ever since then, the partnership has been going really strong. Um, In 2016, William Nixon was voted 
by the MCC as the saviour of Lords. Um, so it's a massive honour for us. And there's a huge portrait of him in the long room at Lords. Um, and that's where we relaunched in 2017 with them. Um, so yeah, the relationship's still going very strong. They've been very supportive of us since we started. And so I guess the, the hopefully the gentleman who didn't know anything about the colours yeah. now knows... <laughs> Yeah, now, now I haven't, colors. I haven't seen them since, but I just thought if I do see them again, I'll just be, um, yeah, do you remember that time? <laughs> but yeah, so now hopefully he'll know, um, and I know too the full, the full story. So you all were at the top of the world, really. Um, your gin was doing so well. Mm. So what happened that you lost it until 2012? Well, I think um, the the 70s were a very difficult time for the gin um, gin was sort of at its lowest in the 70s and in World War 2 we were hit quite badly as it's quite a low grain grain was at a shortage after World War 2 um, and also our distillery got hit by a couple of bombs um, in East London uh, were you still making gin do, during World War 2? Mm, not really no it was quite a shortage we weren't really producing at our maximum mm-hmm. um, and in World War 1 our the study was made for acetone for um, World oh, War Oh, so World War One, you World were War making acetone. Yes, so we weren't making gin at that time. Um, but I think what happened in the 1960s, we sold the distillery, and then we were under contract for about 20 years to the 1980s. And it was a combination of things, really. Um, the market wasn't doing that well, and we we, just want, we wanted to sort of sell it, I suppose. Um, so we also had the Nicholson Pub Group, which is about 80 pubs strong, and we sold it to Allied Breweries, um, and they were mainly interested in the pub group. Um, so the gin was sort of taking a step back and throughout the 80s it was slowly removed off the shelves um, and sort of taken out of production. Well, before we get to modern day, mm. you said something about making other spirits other than gin. Yes. What else were you making? So we made um, with Irish whiskey um, and also rum, brandy and also ale. Um, were you making them in that distillery in Clerkenwell? Yeah, so we moved... Or St. John's Wood? Yeah, so it was Bromley by Bow, Three Mills Distillery, where we were based. Um, And you can still go there today. It's actually a film studio today where they film a whole bunch of other TV shows. Um, And there's still a massive still um, at one of the studio locations, um, which is fantastic. Um, And the size of it is just tremendous. You mean the copper still is still there? They had about six of them that were just... I went there about a month ago, and just the operation of it is massive. Um, So yes, we didn't just do... We did orange gin, lemon gin, um, a lamp lighter, which is just sort of a different version of our gin, um, and also an old tom, um, and also brandy, Irish whiskey, and ale. Um, and and were, were those sold in the UK, or they were just sent out to the different markets? Um, yes, we, we were in about 100 different countries exporting, um, so we were around, around a lot of the world. The lamp lighter was mainly our export product, um, but the... The rum went to the West Indies. The Irish whiskey always went to Ireland and things like that. Um, so yeah, we were sort of all over the place. Um, but we were very much a global brand in that sense. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So when the gin craze um, ended, kind of in the in the seventies before it, yeah, you know, its renaissance just about you know twelve years ago or so, um, you you were you said you you had pubs. Yes. So how did that come out? Yeah, so in sort of in 1873, we were supplying a pub with some gin and um, they couldn't keep up with their bills. Um, so William Nixon thought it'd be a good idea just to purchase the pub. Um, so we purchased the pub and the estate just grew from there. Um, they're all called sort of gin palaces. And if you go into them today, there's about 50 in London and they all make reference to William Nicholson as sort of the founder. 
and they all take gin very seriously within those within those pubs. Um, Do a lot of them still exist? Yes. Yeah, so the actual buildings, I mean. Yes. Yeah, so the original buildings. There's one um, on Strand Street called the Coal Hall, just by the Savoy, um, and that's one of the oldest buildings, and that's still one of the original Nicholson pubs, um, and it's a fantastic building. Also by Blackfriars Bridge, there's a very small sort of tiny one on the corner. It's also like a grade two building, um, which is just really strong heritage. Um, but that, those were also sold in the 80s to M&B. Um, so that's owned by Mrs. and Butler. So you owned all of those pubs? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, M&B have added a couple, um, but we did. We owned the core of those pubs. And they were really gin palaces, not beer, pub, beer yeah. pubs. Yeah, yeah. They, they were mainly gin palaces, but we did also make an ale, um, a Nicholson Pale Ale, um, which was still they still sell it today to the exact same recipe. Um, and that's done by... Is it called Nicholson Pale Ale? Yeah, yeah Nicholson Pale Ale. Um, and if you go into a Nicholson pub, you'll see Nicholson 1736 London Dry on the mirrors. Um, pitch. Every pub has sort of like a placket of um, William Nicholson, the history of Lords and the history of the brand in every pub. Um, still to this day. Still to this day. Um, so they were also very supportive of us when we relaunched. And they, yeah, they love the story and they love everything about the gin. All right, so it went. It was sold in the '80s, and your family didn't really have anything to do with it. Yeah. Now let's talk about the revival of it. Yeah, of course. Um, I guess your father and his cousin. Yes. Yeah. So my father thought, mm, "Yeah, this I, would I, be great." I think um, in 2010, when so as I said, so the company was sold in the '80s. It was sold to Allied Breweries, that then became Allied Domecq, and then that became Pernod Ricard. So they joined Pernod Ricard. So the brand was sort of lost. A lot of trademarks and the recipes were sort of lost up in the air. Um, and it ended up in New Zealand. Um, so they just stopped making it altogether? They seized production completely. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just so it ended up in New Zealand. So my dad sort of went out. A lot of other people did try and purchase the brand before my dad. Um, but these New Zealand people were quite stubborn. They wanted to find the right buyer. Um, so my dad went out a couple of times and started the process of um, buying back the trademarks and the recipes. Um, and yeah, so in 2016... So this was this something he had always wanted to do? I think at the back of his back of his mind, yes, um, but it wasn't something that he was really wanting wanting to do. Sort of in the early two thousands, um, mm-hmm. sort of only twenty ten. So it was like a little like, you know, uh, an itch yes. that he kept scratching, and then finally, yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. It was quite. You a, know, it was the right time. Yeah, quite a bag of itch, and he just thought, why not? Why not do it now? Um, and it was also a great a great honor for my grandmother, um, as her father was the last chairman. And it was great for her to sort of see the brand revived in her lifetime again. Um, so yeah, it was a great family story. Um, but as I said, sorry, going back in 2016, we we then started the process of going through all the old labels, all the old recipes. And it was, took a, a couple of months to get everything sorted. And who had all of this? So Pernod Ricard had most of the recipes and that was given to New Zealand chaps. And then we slowly gained them back um, mm-hmm. after acquiring all the, the company. Um, and we worked with, so the recipe, just to go back to the recipe, is a London dry recipe sort of dating back to 1830 when the style first came out. Um, John Nicholson was mainly, was a distiller, William Nicholson not so much. Um, and he was, it's said that he was very much at the forefront of pioneering the London dry style. Um, so it's made to the exact same botanicals and recipe that would have been made in 1830. Obviously, we just tweaked it a bit to make it a bit more appealing to the current market as it's obviously a bit different compared to back then. And so you had all of this, you had all the recipes? Yes. Did you have them for every one of the spirits? Yes, yeah, pretty much. Um, and we just thought London Dry at the moment would be, would be the best one to go with. Mm-hmm. Um, so we worked with, we sort of made a beeline for Thames Distillery and Charles Maxwell, um, who has a great reputation within the gin, within the gin um, industry. And 
it was about sort of six or seven months sort of trial and error, really working out the right measurements of each botanical. Um, we worked with a panel of experts, sort of Desmond Payne from Beef Eater um, and further other experts within the industry. Had they known about Nicholson Gin? Yes. Yeah. This must have been a real coup for them. Yes. Yeah. I mean, they Considering all, its history. They all knew of Nicholson's Gin. I'm sure Desmond Payne in the 1970s all knew of Nicholson Gin. Um, so they were all quite chuffed for it to be coming back. I think it's... It's actually one of the oldest brands in the UK, or if not the oldest gin brand in the UK, um, and sort of still run by the exact same founding family. It's something that isn't really, like there isn't much out there that's like that the same. Um, so yeah, they were very chuffed to have it back, to say the least. <laughs> and so when they were they revived this, um, the recipe, mm. uh, did you all agree on... Okay, this is this is the right one. We've, yeah. we've, we've hit it. Yeah, pr- pretty much. I mean, we, we all thought, wow, this is... This is what the liquid should be and the quality of the liquid is great. And the experts confirmed that the liquid was fantastic. How long did that process take from getting the recipe to having something that you thought, mm, this is it? About five months. Five oh, so months. Not, not too long. Yeah, five or six months it took that. Um, a lot of sort of blind tastings, a lot of different variations. Um, and then it was just a process of how can we, the bottle design was very much, how can we sort of pay heritage to our great history, but also at the same time, be appealing to the modern market. Um, so our label is very traditional in that sense, but every small emblem on our label pays heritage to our history. Um, and that's something really important to us as we think it's very much a go-to for us. It's just to really pay heritage to what, to what we are and who we are. Since you kindly brought me a bottle right here, why don't we look at the label and yeah. you can tell me the different things so that yeah. if someone is looking at it, yeah, they course. can see what they mean. Of course. So if we start on the top right, you'll see the MCC um, logo oh, and then yeah. underneath it you'll see a statue and that statue is outside our distillery and it's two arms crossing over each other and that's because in 1906 um, there was a bit of a tragedy, tragedy at the distillery where workmen were tra- tracked underground um, and one of the Nicholson fa- family jumped down to try to save them but unfortunately they all passed away mm-hmm. about five of our work five of our employees and also a Nicholson family member um, so that statue's there and it's still there to this day outside the distillery um, and then if we go down, you'll see James Nicholson, a portrait of him. And that's on that's on the right. That's on the bottom right. Bottom right. Um, and if we sort of skip across the top left, you'll see William Nicholson and the pavilion up there. Um, mm. And then also up on the bottom, skipping down to the bottom left, is our famous lion, um, which is quite well known. You would have seen it on Gordon's and also Portobello Road Gin. They have the exact same lion. And that's also... Well, I mean, some say it's sort of to pay, because we're 33 years younger than Gordon's, and I don't know how much Portobello. So I've had some people say that the lion's sort of a copying of Nicholson's gin, because we were one of the firsts. Um, As they say, genius is steel. Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, of course, the wonderful lion on the crown. Mm. Now, as your as your um, it label and emblem. Now, how do you have records on how that was produced or why? I. As the, as the reason why, I'm not sure, um, but we do have a whole bunch of other labels that were all very much... So the red and the line are all very much the same to our old labels, and that wasn't really changed. It was just sort of bringing out the font a bit um, on the design, but that is all very much the same to what it was in sort of early early days, 1830s, 1840s. Um, so that part of the, of the label is very much the same, um, and you'll see that in all our old labels too. And... Since you are so kind to um, have the MCC here, mm. um, have you been working with 
the cricket ground now? Yes, yeah, yeah. So in 2017, when we relaunched, um, we relaunched in the long room and they were the first to put us on sale. Um, so we have a very strong relationship with them, um, with, with, with our house gin, obviously, in the long room. And they've been very supportive of us. Um, and we're looking forward to quite a very busy cricketing season this year with the Cricket World Cup and also the Ashes being hosted in England. Um, and also, we sort of like to think that we're sort of the cricketers' gin due to the fact of our strong cricketing relations. And I guess when you're watching a cricket game, you might as well enjoy a good gin and tonic. Um, so that's what we also like to do. Of course. And now, speaking of gin and tonics and recipes, um, I know this, that Nicholson's gin was is on was on everyone's list to make um, gin cocktails. And I'm talking Harry Craddock. Mm. Um, from the Savoy, you're, you know, that was the recommended gin and the Waldorf, yeah. you know, you were really yeah. in every hotel yeah. on every list. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think um, sort of 1920s, 1930s, the main watering holes, sort of New York, Paris and London, New York, especially sort of during Prohibition and things like that. Um, Nicholson Gin is one of the only two brands ever to be listed in the Savoy cocktail book. Um, so they only have, normally they just say sort of 25 ml gin. But they specifically mentioned Nicholson gin to be used um, in a classic martini or those type of cocktails, um, just because the liquid is so complementary to the other factors of the cocktail. Um, Harry Craddock also does the same, and also the Ward of Astoria, as you said, all mentioned Nicholson gin repeatedly, um, which is a great honour for us. It's quite flattering, to be honest, to be mentioned all these great cocktail books that bartenders this day still refer to as sort of like the Bible for all cocktails and things like that. Well, you've made me thirsty. Yeah. So should we pop it open and have some? Absolutely. Now, thanks to Milo, I will never be able to look at bacon and eggs the same again. If you go to alushlifemanual.com, I'll have a picture of the label, plus a list of Nicholson pubs for you to look for when next in London. Now it's time for our Cocktail of the Week. Our Cocktail of the Week is the Gloom Razor. This classic cocktail, featured in the Savoy Cocktail Book, and Harry's ABC back in the 1930s and demanded only Nicholson gin. They've added a little raspberry syrup as a fresh alternative. Add all these ingredients to a mixing glass filled with ice. 50 ml of Nicholson original gin, 15 ml of dry French vermouth, two dots of absinthe, and five ml of raspberry syrup. Stir it well and then strain into a cocktail glass. Garnish it with a lemon twist. You'll find this recipe and all the cocktails of the week at alushlifemanual.com, where you'll also find all the ingredients in our shop. I returned from a week in Charleston, South Carolina, and I made it through with a bag of grits and bourbon in tow. But not just any bourbon. Next time on Lush Life, we meet the man who knew if he were planning to make bourbon, it had to be different. Find out how we made that happen. Don't forget to check out my old-fashioned collection at alushlifemanual.com slash merch. Until next time, bottoms up. Thanks for listening to the Lush Life Podcast. For more information and links to everything you've heard, plus a whole lot more, please visit alushlifemanual.com. 
Always remember the wise words of Oscar Wilde. All things in moderation, including moderation. And always drink responsibly. Okay, I said that last part. Theme music is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. Lush Life is produced by Evo Terra. And I'm your drinking partner, Susan Schwartz. I'll see you at the bar. Thank you.